Katie Couric wanted to make the case for fluidity of gender. Instead, she made the case against abortion. Yes, seriously. Appearing with Ellen DeGeneres to talk about her new documentary, Gender Revolution, Katie Couric began spouting off about gender in the womb. Gender, Couric explained, was, quote, really a deeply biological thing, an unintentional ringing rebuke to the gender as a social construct crowd. She then added, just because you operate on a child and tell the child you're a certain gender, that doesn't necessarily coincide with who that person feels he or she actually is. This applies really to intersex children, not generally biologically male or female children, but Couric forged ahead. She said, quote, In the later stages of development, it's when the brain is wired, and sometimes a surge of testosterone can make a female fetus feel as if that baby is male or that person is male, and the opposite if there's not enough testosterone. Put aside the gender politics of this argument for just a second. The science isn't really settled as to how a baby is really male or female in the brain based on hormone surges. Science actually suggests Couric is wrong. But instead, focus on Couric's argument that a fetus can, quote, feel as if that baby or that person is a particular gender. A fetus is not a clump of cells. It's not a ball of tissue. It feels things. As Ed Morrissey of Hot Air points out, quote, if we're to suddenly sensitize ourselves of the deeply biological implications of the fetus's own perception of gender identity, can we finally agree a fetus is an actual human with a right to its own life as well as its own gender identity? This is where the entire logic of leftism on abortion breaks down. The left focuses incessantly on the victim status of various human beings from various racial, sexual, ethnic groups. The left will sing the lyrics to born this way with all their heart, but then they'll attempt to argue that until you're born, you weren't this way. That's ridiculous. If we're going to talk about the ultimate victim group, let's talk about unborn children who have done nothing to deserve their fate who are developing human beings in the womb. If it takes some talk about intersex babies to make leftists care about babies all of a sudden, that is certainly worth the price. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, we're going to get to everything Trump-related in a second. Plus, it was a good time over at Ferris State University, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But first, we have to thank our new supporters, our new advertisers over at ZipRecruiter.com. So if you are a business person and you're looking for the best person to fill that slot, ZipRecruiter is the place to go. Right now with ZipRecruiter, instead of posting your job to all these message boards and hoping somebody responds to you, instead what you do with ZipRecruiter is you post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, with one click. Saves you tons of time. You find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. You post once, and you watch those candidates roll on in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. You don't have to worry about emails or calls to your office. You can screen candidates and rate them and hire them really quickly. It's used by Fortune 100 companies all over the planet. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. One more time, you try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Plus, if you're somebody who's seeking a job, you put your name up there on kind of a general message board over at ZipRecruiter, and that allows all of the people who are looking to hire people to find you. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Make sure that you use the slash Daily Wire because that enables them to know that we sent you, number one. And number two, it means that you get to do it for free. So go check it out for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Great service. All right. So as I mentioned a minute ago, Katie Couric now thinks that, it, I mean, this is good news, I suppose. All leftist logic in the end turns in on itself, and that's certainly true of abortion. I think it's amusing that Katie Couric now only thinks babies are babies if they are intersex babies or transgender babies. So apparently babies who are not any of those things, babies who don't suffer from those conditions, those are not babies. But if you're a transgender baby, then you're a baby, which is just kind of weird. But in any case, that wasn't the only stupid thing to come out yesterday. Hillary Clinton is back. Oh, yes, she's back. 
She was wandering the woods. The children emerged from those woods, weeping and told tales of a hellhound loose in the woods, <laughs> crying over her own fate. And now she's back. Hillary Clinton is here. She's come. Here's Hillary Clinton. She's saying things about ladies and vaginas and such. Despite all the challenges we face, I remain convinced that, yes, the future is female. Okay, pause it for a second. Just look at the amazing energy Sorry, the, we she, saw. She, she, the, the future is female. Okay, let's just be, be factual about one thing here. The future is asexual. Yeah, the future is gender fluid. The future is a temporal state, okay? The future is not male or female or black or white. I hate this kind of phraseology. It's so dumb. But again, it all comes back to that intersectionality politics that the left is so focused on. Babies are only babies if they're transgender babies, and the future is only the future if it's female for some odd reason. By the way, if the future is only female, then you sort of do wonder how babies are going to get made in the future. Are there any babies in the future? Or is it like the future one generation of females and then everyone dies or they live forever like the like the Amazonians in, in Wonder Woman land? And the, uh, no, no one really knows. But Hillary Clinton continues along these lines because she just won't go away. Here she, here she continues. Last month, as women organized a march that galvanized millions of people all over our country and across the world. So please... Set an example for every woman and girl out there who's worried about what the future holds and wonders whether our rights, opportunities, and values will endure. And remember, you are the heroes and history makers, the glass ceiling breakers of the future. As I've said before, I'll say again, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world. Okay, I have a daughter and she is just three now. And I also think that she is going to have a wonderful future. I also don't think she's gonna have a lot of glass ceilings to break. Her mom's a doctor, her grandmother runs a television firm, the, the country is replete with rich and powerful women. America, 55% of voters are women. 55% of the people in college are women. 58% of the people with graduate degrees are women. The idea that women are suffering en masse in the United States, which is what Hillary seems to say, you can overcome. We shall, you overcame, okay? You're the majority of the voters. You're the majority of the people in college. You're the, in, in 147 out of 150 of the biggest, most populous cities, women who are single and unmarried and work the same number of hours as men, earn 8% more on average than men do. So can we cut it out with this whole glass ceiling shattered routine? It's really irritating. And when Hillary Clinton does it, it's even more irritating because the fact of the matter is that Hillary Clinton's shattering of the glass ceiling involved her marrying a more powerful man and then riding his coattails to, to all sorts of glory, but not the White House, but not the White House. Actually, my favorite headline of the day was apparently there's some couple that's been married, I guess, for 22 years. They've been together for 22 years, and they're breaking up over Trump. And the first thing that went through my mind is I'm really feeling bad for the Clintons. That's terrible. I can't believe they broke up over Trump. Okay, so Hillary lost, obviously, because if you watch her there, it's impossible for her not to lose because she's awful. But Donald Trump is now the president. And so this comes with its benefits and it comes with its drawbacks. Do we have a little bit of good Trump, bad Trump? Shall we do that today? Good Trump, bad Trump, which one will we get today? Yes. All right, so... Donald Trump speaks yesterday at CENTCOM, Central Command, and he is, um, and, and he, he does something that is, that is not quite true, but is also kind of smart. So 
in the middle of this, it's sort of unintentionally smart, I think. In the, in the, this is a good Trump. In the middle of his speech at CENTCOM, he drops the notion that the media have not covered terrorism properly. Here's what he has to say. Radical Islamic terrorists are determined to strike our homeland as they did on 9-11, as they did from Boston to Orlando to San Bernardino. And all across Europe, you've seen what happened in Paris and Nice. All over Europe, it's happening. It's gotten to a point where it's not even being reported. And in many cases, the very, very dishonest press doesn't want to report it. They have their reasons, and you understand that. I do love the fact that as time goes on, Donald Trump sounds more and more like Marlon Brando from The Godfather. He's beginning to lose his voice now. And so he's kind of sitting there petting a cat and telling you about terrorism. But aside from that, what he says there about the media not properly covering terrorism, it's sort of true, and it's sort of not true. So it is not true that the press does not cover terrorism. In fact, of the 70, they, they released, a le- uh, released a list of 78 attacks since 2014 that they said had not received enough media attention. And on that list were terrorist attacks in Nice, France, and terrorist attacks in Berlin, and uh, the terror attack in Orlando. I'm pretty sure those received enough media attention. But here's what's smart about all of this. Here's what's smart about all of this. It has forced the media now to go back and rehash all of the terrorist incidents. The media are so crazy and so stupid that Trump says, you didn't cover the terrorist attacks enough. And instead of them just saying, that's not true. Now, this is a misdirect because you actually want to talk about X, Y, or Z. Instead, the media goes into, how dare he? We'll show you how much we covered terrorist attacks and we'll cover them anew just to prove you wrong. And Trump's sitting there smirking at himself knowing that the entire, pro- the, the entire premise of that speech, the entire premise of him saying that, was designed to force the media to spend lots of time talking about terror attacks so suddenly Americans would recognize what he's trying to do with his immigration and refugee order. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. And now, I'm not going to credit Donald Trump with playing 40 chess because I think very few people in politics actually play 40 chess. I think most people who play 40 chess are, as I said a couple of days ago, just like the Wookiee. And you, you sometimes let the Wookiee win. The Wookiee doesn't know how to play 40 chess. He's just going to rip your arms out and beat you to death with them. I think that's more what Trump is doing here. But the media is so stupid that they make Trump, who's playing like regular chess, look like he's playing 40 chess. By comparison, Sean Spicer, not Melissa McCarthy, actual Sean Spicer, was out there defending this yesterday, and uh, it's pretty funny. Well, we'll provide a yeah, we'll, we'll provide a list later. There's several instances, and the president again got a, a great update today um, on the fight against ISIS that's going on throughout the region and what our military is facing uh, throughout this globe trying to combat ISIS. But there's a lot of instances that have occurred um, where I don't think that they've gotten the coverage it, it, it's deserved, and, uh, and I think that's what the president's clearly referring to there. And again, reiterating this point is smart because, number one, every time Trump picks a fight with the media and then the media allow him to do that, every time the media kick back by saying, how dare he attack the media, Americans go, I don't care about you, you're the media. Why would I possibly care if Trump attacks you? You attack each other, fine, whatever. It's smart of Trump. So this is so this is good Trump. And then there's bad Trump. Trump is speaking at CENTCOM, and Trump again reiterates that this that NATO is somehow so a boondoggle and NATO allies have to pay more money or we're going to the, the tacit threat is we're going to cut them off. Here's Trump talking about NATO at CENTCOM. We strongly support NATO. We only ask that all of the NATO members make their full and proper financial contributions to the NATO alliance, which many of them have not been doing. Many of them have not been even close and they have to do that. 
So Trump says that, and a lot of people say, okay, well, look, he's expressing his support for NATO. Okay, juxtapose that, the, the way he just talked about NATO, with the way he talks about Vladimir Putin. We've killed a lot of people also. We kill lots of people also. He's much more sympathetic, apparently, just from the tone of his rhetoric, to Vladimir Putin than he is to NATO. And that's a problem. That's a problem because the fact is that there's a great piece in Foreign Policy magazine today about this, that there's a new sort of revised isolationism that has come to the fore in American politics. Americans have a tendency toward isolationism. We're very lucky geographically. We're surrounded on both sides by oceans. And to our south, we have a weak state, Mexico. And to our north, we have a very friendly state in Canada. So the United States does not have a lot of border problems in terms of being in the middle of Europe, for example, and facing down a threat from multiple sides. And so what that's meant, typically, is that Americans tend to have this real isolationist streak, which is understandable. The only problem is that in an era of mass communication, in an era of, of easy jet travel, in an era of missiles... And, and global trade, it's very difficult to isolate yourself from the world without also harming yourself economically and harming yourself in terms of security. And every time the United States has tried to isolate itself and has said, okay, let's turn inward, let's cut our military, let's turn inward, let's stop worrying about what's happening over in Estonia or Latvia, let's stop worrying what's happening over in the South China Sea. Every time we do that sort of thing, it ends up redounding not to our benefit, but to our detriment. It always ends up building to the point where rogue states end up attacking us, whether it's Japan in World War II or whether it is Germany in World War I. We always end up being dragged into wars against our will because if you leave the, the playground and there's nobody there to boss it around, you may not like bossing it around. The United States may not like being the global organizer, but if we're not going to organize, you know who's going to do it is Russia and China. And you may think that doesn't matter. It does matter when China starts cutting off trade between all of these Southeastern Asian countries and the United States through sphere of influence. It does matter when they begin encroaching territorially more and more toward American interests. It does matter when China becomes more powerful and Russia becomes more powerful in Eastern Europe and starts threatening our Western European allies. And then all of a sudden we get dragged into conflict again, except conflict with an emboldened and strengthened enemy like a Russia or a China. Okay, this started under Obama. This isn't unique to Trump. But it did start with Obama, and it's continued under Trump, this sort of this sort of revanchianism, this idea that we're going to just come back into our borders and everything is going to be okay. It sounds like a beautiful idea. Every time it's been tried, it fails. And this is true not just with World War One and World War II. Bill Clinton tried this in the 1990s by slashing our military to the bone, and the result was 9-11. George W. Bush built up the military and got aggressive on the foreign policy sphere, and we saw a dramatic decrease in the number of terrorist attacks on American soil. Then... He leaves office, and the number of terrorist attacks increases massively because ISIS grows. The fact is, you cannot remove yourself from the international scene and hope that everything is going to be okay. And that seems to be the premise of a lot of what Trump is saying here, and that's a problem. Okay, with all that said, the media are losing their ever-loving minds over Donald Trump, and we're going to have to continue this over at Daily Wire. But I want to talk a little bit about the fact the media keeps saying, they keep throwing around this term constitutional crisis, constitutional crisis. I want to talk about what a constitutional crisis actually looks like, whether it's a crisis or not, and the fact that the Constitution is actually built to withstand crises. It's built to have crises and withstand them. We'll talk about all of that over at Daily Wire. Dot com. You're going to have to go over there to check it out. Plus, my favorite story of the day. It's a fantastic story. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to Daily Wire to check it out. $8 a month buys you access to Daily Wire. You can watch the rest of the show live. You can be part of the mailbag, which we're going to do in a couple of days here. You're going to get all sorts of new goodies. We're also giving away free DVDs. Of, uh, my friend Jeremy Boring has a fantastic movie about the border and about border security. It's called The Arroyo, and you should go get a subscription right now. You get a free copy 
of the Arroyo, which is a terrific, terrific film about a, a small rancher living on the Arizona border whose, whose land is being used as a thoroughfare for drug cartels from Mexico and what he does about it. It's a, it's a really terrific film. You're going to want to subscribe to The Daily Wire just to get that, but then you also get me live, you get Clavin live, eight bucks a month. Plus, if you, uh, if you get that annual subscription, then you get a free DVD copy of The Arroyo, so go check that out right now. We are the largest conservative podcast on the interwebs. So the media are losing their mind, and basically the media have broken down into two categories. Category one are the media who think that Donald Trump is Hitler, and category two are the media who think that Donald Trump is Jesus. There seems to be very little in between. There's not a lot of objective analysis of who Trump is or what he's doing, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So on the Donald Trump is Satan side, we have CBS's Scott Pelley. He opened up his show yesterday by talking about how Donald Trump is completely divorced from reality. Here is Scott Pelley on CBS yesterday. Trump told a U.S. military audience that there have been terrorist attacks that no one knows about because the media choose not to report them. It has been a busy day for presidential statements divorced from reality. Okay, that, that is such a, it's such a galling statement. Can you imagine them saying that about Barack Obama? Can you imagine them saying that about Obama? Well, it's been a busy day for people who think that Barack Obama's a liar. Yeah, what? I mean, Barack Obama lied routinely. He did it all the time. Did they ever do this after Barack Obama got up there and for years lied about if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor? Did they do this during Benghazi when he claimed that a YouTube video was responsible for everything? I mean, the, the Democrats can tell any sort of lies that they want, and this is why people look at the media and they're very frustrated. If it were even-handed, if they said this about every president, it was a busy day for lies for President Obama today then we would be, okay, fine. So they're just hard on the president. But because they make it specific to one side and then claim their objective, this drives us batty. And what this means is that we no longer trust anything they say. So the fake perception of, the fake attempt to, to promulgate the idea that you are objective ends up making us think everything you say is fake. It makes us not believe anything that you say. And this is why I've always said, one of the nice things about shows like this one is I make it very clear where I stand politically. You can check my facts. And you can take everything I say with a grain of salt because you know where I'm coming from. You know my angle. You're not supposed to know Scott Pelley's angle. That's sort of the idea here. But you can pretty clearly tell what Scott Pelley's angle is from that side. So on the one side, you have the people who say that Trump is Satan. He's lying all the time. It's just terrible. Donald Trump is the worst liar. And on the other side, you have people like Piers Morgan, right, who is somehow back on TV. After, after being smacked off TV by yours truly, Piers Morgan is back. And now he is a Donald Trump acolyte because Donald Trump was once nice to him and patted him on his British head. And so here is, here's Piers Morgan on Bill O'Reilly saying, the press needs to show Donald Trump more respect, more respect, as though, as though the, the, the paragon of respect is Piers Morgan. So I think that there is fault on both sides here. I think that it is dangerous and toxic. And I think that the media have got to start showing President Trump a bit more respect. And he, in turn, and his White House operation, have got to show the media a bit more respect. And they've all got to move on. Okay, they all have to move on. The media should just show a little bit of respect. When Piers Morgan says things like that, it's a, okay, no. My view is that the media should show no politician any respect because respect is something that is earned, not given. You have to actually earn somebody's respect, and I don't think politicians do that very often. So what you have on one side are the people who are acolytes of Trump, and on the other side you have people who are just 
devotees of ripping down Trump, and this makes everybody crazy. And it also means that people go overboard, even journalists that I like. So Jake Tapper over at CNN, he was talking about Donald Trump challenging the courts and challenging a free press, and I think this is overstated. Here's Jake on, on CNN yesterday. Any negative polls are fake news. You got that? So any polling suggesting anything negative about the president or his policies is not, in his view, real of well-sourced stories reporting that the president did not know the extent to which his putting senior strategist Stephen Bannon on the Principals Committee of the National Security Council would be unprecedented and controversial. President Trump seemed to disagree. He opined, quote, I call my own shots largely based on an accumulation of data and everyone knows it, some fake news media, in order to marginalize lies. All right, to sum up, if a judge rules against the president, he's a so-called judge. If a poll shows that a majority of you disagree with his policies, the poll is fake. If a well-sourced news story reflects something unflattering about him, that story is fake. So the judicial branch of government and the free press, two fundamental pillars of our democracy, if we take actions he does not like, we are not legitimate. Okay, so that's everything is fine, what Tapper says there, up until the last sentence, the idea that if we do things he doesn't like, then we're illegitimate. Okay, I don't think that that's what's happening with the courts. I think that is happening with the press. I think that when Donald Trump consistently says about the press that it's fake news, everything I don't like is fake news, I think that is delegitimizing the press. In some cases, that's deserved. In some cases, it really isn't. But it's that last point I want to pick up on, which is the idea that he's delegitimizing the courts and that this is some sort of constitutional crisis. Now, Jake doesn't use that phrase here which is good, constitutional crisis. But we have seen it from the Washington Post, and we've seen it from the New York Times. We've seen the phrase constitutional crisis across a bevy of sources, Donald Trump calling, causing constitutional crises. They're saying that largely on the basis of things like this. Here's Sean Spicer talking about this judge in Seattle who put a temporary injunction on Trump's executive order, and Spicer says the judge went rogue, and this, of course, is driving the left totally crazy. I think you have one judge. The, the law is very clear that the president has broad powers to keep this country safe and to limit access to people that could come into this country and do us harm. He utilized that power in a very legal, constitutional manner to ensure that we are safe. Our people are safe. Our country are safe. Our institutions are safe. Um, and it's somewhat sad to see a judge um, go rogue like this. Okay, so everybody's saying this is so terrible that how could Sean Spicer say that? I would just like to remind people, okay, this is the State of the Union address a couple of years ago. Here's Barack Obama at the State of the Union address a couple of years ago. With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections. I don't think American elections should be bankrolled by America's most powerful interests, or worse, by foreign okay, so, entities. So there's the President of the United States going to direct war against the Supreme Court with the Supreme Court standing right there, and the press had nothing to say about that. They thought that that was totally cool, that was totally fine. I want to tell you something about constitutional crises. Everybody's always worried the Constitution is in crisis, that we're all going to die, right? The president's going to ignore the courts, and the courts will ignore the legislature. They're all going to ignore each other, and everything will fall apart in a great conflagration of a nuclear war. That's silly. 
The Constitution is designed for the branches to check each other. The Constitution is designed for the judiciary not to obey the legislature and the legislature not to obey the judiciary and the president not to obey both of them. It's a very, very durable document. And the system that it built is quite durable. In Federalist 78, Alexander Hamilton, who helped design the system, he said the judiciary is the least dangerous branch because it doesn't have the power to enforce its own will, which means that it has to be very careful in how it tackles the law. So let's look at a history of constitutional crises. And they're not all coming from demagogic presidents who are, who are attempting to overthrow the rule of law. Thomas Jefferson, very early on uh, in his presidency, he fought a battle over the National Bank. And when the Supreme Court decided that a National Bank was constitutional based on a wrongful reading, by the way, it's a bad decision, based on a wrongful reading of the Necessary and Proper Clause, Jefferson responded by basically saying openly that the Supreme Court didn't have the power of judicial review. Yeah, which is more than Trump is saying. He actually said that they didn't even have that power. Here's what Jefferson said. He said, quote, The Constitution on this hypothesis is a mere thing of wax in the hands of the judiciary, which they may twist and shape into any form they please. He actually called judicial review the despotism of an oligarchy. Okay, did the government collapse? Did we all die? Or is Jefferson considered one of our best presidents? Andrew Jackson had a very similar run-in with the judiciary. It's now famous, obviously, in 1832, the Supreme Court ruled that the state of Georgia could not seize a bunch of Native American land without violating federal treaties. And so Jackson, this is probably apocryphal, but he was supposed to have said, John Marshall, who is the Chief Justice, has made his decision, now let him enforce it. And to be fair to the Supreme Court, they didn't actually issue any federal marshals to carry out their orders, probably knowing that Jackson was going to fight them. But Jackson basically ignored them. The state of Georgia basically ignored the Supreme Court. Later, he would back off of that. But his initial position was basically to tell the Supreme Court to stick it. Abraham Lincoln is also very famous. In the case called Ex parte, Ex parte Merriman, uh, there is a the judge, justice, named Roger Taney. Uh, Tawney is how it's pronounced, actually. And Justice, justice Tawney, who's the same guy who wrote the Dred Scott decision, a terrible decision, wrote Ex parte Merriman, where he said you can't suspend the writ of habeas corpus. Basically, Lincoln was just arresting people without charge. And the idea was you're not allowed to do that. So he issued this ruling. And Lincoln then went in front of Congress and he said, quote, are all the laws but one to go unexecuted and the government itself to go to pieces, lest that one be violated? Even in such a case, would not the official oath be broken if the government should be overthrown when it was believed that disregarding the single law would tend to preserve it? So it's unclear whether Lincoln actually disobeyed Tawney or whether Tawney had jurisdiction or not. But in effect, he sort of disobeyed Tawney for about a year and then and then he began to iron things out with regard to habeas corpus. But was that a constitutional crisis that we couldn't withstand? Well, it wasn't nearly as much of a constitutional crisis as half the country attempting to secede. In 1937, FDR, the, the leftist hero, you know, everybody on the left loves FDR. He's the best, right? In 1937, the Supreme Court had spent two years striking down a bunch of bad New Deal legislation that was unconstitutional. FDR threatened to pack the court after the election of 1937. He said that he was going to pass a constitutional amendment that would force a justice to retire at age 70 or appoint an assistant with full voting rights to neutralize that justice. So you'd either retire at 70 or if you chose to stay on, we'll appoint a second guy over here and he'll vote just to do the opposite of what you do. So your vote won't count anyway. We'll just double the size of the Supreme Court. It wasn't an amendment actually with the basic law. Instead, the Supreme Court caved, and instead they said the National Labor Relations Act, which is unconstitutional, they said that was okay. They said the Social Security Act, which is unconstitutional, was okay. They broadened the Commerce Clause dramatically in the aftermath of that. That was a constitutional crisis. Did we collapse? No. In, in, uh, in 1952, Harry Truman, another president who's considered pretty good by a lot of folks, Harry Truman was in the middle of the Korean War, and there were a bunch of strikes at the steel mills because of price and wage controls that Harry Truman had helped put in place. And he seized all of the steel mills around the country. 
There's a famous case called Youngstown, and in this case, the Supreme Court said such action was unconstitutional. So Truman quickly returned the steel, mill, steel mills, and then in a couple of months, he found a new reason to seize them again, or seize control of them, at least in part. The court ended up actually undermining its own decision over time. So what ends up happening when the court doesn't like what the president's doing usually is they write a very contained opinion, and then if the president fights back against them, the court tends to back down a little bit, or the president tends to back down, the legislature tends to intervene. There's a whole system for making sure that things don't go to hell in a handbasket when the branches disagree with one another. And the idea that Donald Trump saying that this is a so-called judge, this district court judge, okay, first of all, district court judges are not all that important. The, the, the Congress has the full power under the Constitution of the United States the, the, to, to restrict the jurisdiction of U.S. district courts or even to abolish them. And it's, it's their job to actually establish district courts in the first place. So this idea that it's constitutional crisis, we're all going to die, it's just over the top. And I think a little bit of history was in order for people who keep shouting constitutional crisis from the clouds without understanding the Constitution or how constitutional crises usually work out. By the way, Trump hasn't even said he's going to disobey the orders yet. He's just said that he doesn't like the orders. So, yeah, that doesn't matter. Okay, so in, in other journalistic overreactions, journalists are beginning to be very worried that Donald Trump is going to Putin them, that he's going to murder them with, with various forms of polonium or that he's going to shoot them in the, in the lobbies of their apartment buildings because Donald Trump has said nice things about Vladimir Putin and has basically pretended that Vladimir Putin isn't a thug. We talked about this yesterday. Everybody, It's very funny. I read the direct transcript of what Donald Trump said about Russia and... And everybody was accusing me of mischaracterizing what Donald Trump said about Russia when I said that he was very warm toward Russia and basically accused the United States of engaging in the same crimes in which, in which Russia had. And so I'm going to look up what he had to say about Putin again because I want to read you the actual transcript again so that, it, so that I'm not accused of having, of having screwed this up. Okay, so this is two days ago. He's on Bill O'Reilly's program. And Bill O'Reilly asks him this question. Do you respect Putin? And Trump says, I do respect him. And O'Reilly says, do you? Why? And he says, well, I respect a lot of people. That doesn't mean I'm going to get along with them. He's a leader of his country. I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a very major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with it? I have no idea. It's very possible I won't. And then O'Reilly says, he's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. And Trump says, a lot of killers. Got a lot of killers. You think our country's so innocent? Mm. Okay, so when you say these sorts of things, that is obviously you saying that the United States is on moral par with Russia when it comes to killing people. There are a lot of killers. You think our country's so innocent? Let me change the context. If I say to you, O.J. Simpson killed his wife, and you reply to me, a lot of people kill their wives. You think you're so innocent? Isn't the implication that I also killed my wife? And this is, this is silly towns. So, was it a bad comment? Yes, it was a bad comment. The media lost its ever-loving mind. And they lost their mind because instead of just saying, this is really immoral, what, what Donald Trump is saying here, instead, they immediately go to, oh my God, he's, he's, he's going to victimize me. He's going to come after me. It's not always about you. Sometimes it's just about him saying douchey things. So, Katie Turr over at, M at, at NBC, she says, Trump, is he going to Putin us? Is he going to murder us? Here is Katie Turr. Why, what is your sense of why this president is going above and beyond, bending over backwards, if you will, to stay away from criticizing the Russian president and, and to almost give him an excuse? As we know, there's 
since 2000, been a couple dozen suspicious deaths of journalists uh, in Russia who came out against the government there. Donald Trump has made no secret about going after journalists and his distaste for any news that doesn't agree with him here. Do you find that this is a dangerous path he is heading down? I know that Putin is a thug and he runs a gas station and the prices are low right now. And so he is going to continue to be belligerent. He is going to continue to be aggressive. I've led Codels to Eastern Europe. I led a Codel to Estonia, the Czech Republic, and Romania. And we have a very full understanding of who Vladimir Putin is. And he is not a friend of the United States. Okay, so what Deb Fisher says there is right. I do like when she talks about Putin's gas station. That sounds like a terrible gas station. You drive up to the gas station, he comes out, he says, would you like gas or should I kill you? But in any case, the, the, Katie Turr going, is he going to come after us? No, Trump is not going to come after you. He's not going to come after you. And, you know, there are people like me who have worried that Donald Trump is going to come after them because I'm on his enemies list, I assume. Okay, there was a little bit of misreporting yesterday at, uh, at, at The Atlantic. Uh, my, a guy I like, McKay Coppins, he suggested that I had got this, this fancy security system to fight off the alt-right. I had a fancy security system ever since I got threatened by the left after Piers Morgan, actually. But, so a little bit of a look. Worry is in order, but the idea that he's going to Vladimir Putin people and shoot them, uh, no, I don't think the government is going to come to Katie Turr's house and, and start killing people. Joe Scarborough does the same thing. He says, now, now Trump has to come out and say he's opposed to assassinating journalists. That actually wasn't what Trump was saying. What Trump was saying in his defense was that Vladimir Putin doesn't murder journalists. That's not the same thing as saying it's okay to murder journalists. But, I mean, it's still not great and it's still not true, but here is Joe Scarborough going off the deep end a little bit. If, if Donald Trump keeps being asked to criticize Vladimir Putin for assassinating journalists, yeah. and Donald Trump refuses to criticize Vladimir Putin for assassinating journalists and say, well, we do it too, in a sense, mm -hmm. does that suggest that he thinks it's okay to assassinate journalists? It, uh, look, does I, that suggest he thinks it's okay to jail political opponents, to assassinate mm -hmm. political opponents. If you don't condemn, after being repeatedly asked yeah. to condemn these actions, at some point, you go back to the he who does not deny admits right. story, and it suggests that he does. I suggest somebody at the White House get him to write a, a statement, a very strong statement, uh, letting the world know that he condemns the assassination of journalists and political rivals. Because well, exactly. Okay, no, he, he doesn't actually have to do that. What he should say instead is Vladimir Putin's a bad guy and he should stop kissing Vladimir Putin's royal red behind. It's just a, a, enough already. But, that, but the media going overboard again with all this constitutional crisis. Trump's okay with murdering journalists. Everybody just take a breath and calm down. Okay, time for some stuff I like and then for some stuff I hate. So uh, since we did On the Waterfront yesterday, I figured that we'll do some boxing movies this week. So one of the classic boxing movies, first maybe the first classic boxing movie, is a movie called Body and Soul with John Garfield. And the basic plot is John Garfield is an up-and-coming boxer who gets seduced by the underground world of, of boxing as he's becoming champion of the world. Uh, and uh, it's all about fight fixing and rigging. And John Garfield, who's really an underappreciated actor, if you ever want to see a really good version of the, the Postman Always Rings Twice, the original version is the good one. The one with Jack Nicholson is it's awful. But the one with, but the one with John Garfield uh, is really good. He's a terrific actor. Here's John Garfield in A Little Bit of Body and Soul. Hello, Shorty. What are you doing up here? Couldn't you wait for Grand Central? Got big news. Hey, Quinn. Hello, boy. 
Gee, that's a guy stinks. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you say, minute. pal? You got that news? You got that fight for me? <laughs> well, I don't know. Come I don't on, know. tell me about it. Hey, 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 hey. The hats here. What? How do you like the new coat? Huh? Pipe the tie, Charlie. Oh, never guys. mind that. Come on, give us the dope, will you? Well, we got some business arrangements to take care of. First, Charlie. With who? Roberts? Who else? Nobody fights a championship for anything unless Roberts gets cut in. You know that. He's the dough, the real estate, everything, the business. What does Roberts want, Quinn? Nothing much. Only Charlie. I'll be cutting you to pieces, Charlie. Ah, it only means more dough cut more ways. A bigger pie, more slices, more to eat for everybody. And Roberts will be telling us what and when. So what? Everybody's been telling us what and when. The guy who owned the arena, the guy who owned the fighter, the guy who owned the books. Cheap mobsters, gangsters, guys who own nothing. We've been fighting for peanuts and eating them. Right? Right. You know you can't get a fight in New York without Roberts to say so, right? Right. Right, okay, Quinn, make the deal. I'll be champ, then I'll give the orders. I'll say what and when. You can tell us what and when, but you can't tell Roberts. But the champ can. Not if he gives away his right arm. Ah, you made me cut myself. <laughs> it's my arm, isn't it? It's a really good performance from John Garfield. Uh, it's considered one of the great boxing movies of all time. And again, it's, it's, it's amazing how rife boxing was with corruption for so many years that every single boxing movie was about fights getting fixed. Unfortunately, that's, that is how it was for, for a long time in the United States. Okay, other things that I like. So Tom Brady, you have to hand it to a dude who says he's going to do something and then he does it. So Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, and then he, it turns out that before the Super Bowl, he cut an ad with five Super Bowl rings. So here is Tom Brady's ad that he cut before the Super Bowl in which, he's already ha in, in which he already has an extra Super Bowl ring. Tom? Hi. Welcome to Shields MRI. Would you please remove all jewelry and place it in the locker? Oh, yeah. Sure, no problem. Tom Brady trusts Shields MRI. You can, too. Is that all? Actually, no. I forgot this one. It's kind of new. We're going to need to get you a bigger locker. Roger that. Okay, so, you know, good for, good for Brady. The thing about Brady that, that people hate is that he's dedicated only to winning. It's all he cares about. In sports, that's great. In politics, morality tends to have a part. This is why I don't like the sports politics parallel exactly. Um, but in, in sports, you know, if you're if you're the guy who who wins, then you get all the credit. And Tom Brady, obviously, he can brag as much as he wants, so long as he wins. Okay, time for some stuff that I hate. So I do love the fact that environmentalists don't care about the garbage they leave behind. So at Standing Rock, they had all of these. Uh, over the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. They had all of these horrible protests. Oh, my God, they're going to ruin the environment. It's going to be so terrible. They're going to come in, and the people who create the pipeline are going to ruin the environment. Here's a little bit of the footage from Standing Rock after all the environmentalists left. Pretty amazing. Loving the day. I'm loving the people at camp. And I'm excited about garbage. This is a call out to all the environmental warriors of our community. Standing Rock needs you now more than ever. In the next coming weeks, the Native Council has decided that Ochete, the main section of Standing Rock Camp, will need to be moved out of the flood lane it exists in before the spring melts all the snow. This will be an incredible effort to move over 400 structures and all the infrastructure that goes with it. The population of Standing Rock peaked at a little over 10,000 people during November, and then in a very short time period, the population dropped to less than 2,000. During this process, people left behind tents, clothing, and most importantly, garbage. All of that trash is now covered under eight feet of snow. The concern is that when the snow melts, the water will pick up all the trash and carry it down river, polluting it. 
we refuse to let this happen. The people at camp are already okay. making their own. We don't, we don't have to play the rest of it. Good job, environmentalists. Well done. The Standing Rock Sioux say it could take weeks for private sanitation companies and volunteers to clear the expanse of abandoned tents, teepees, sleeping bags, blankets, canned food, supplies, and just plain garbage littering the Osseti Sakawin camp. So well done. It turns out that all of it was just posturing for the cameras. If you can't pick up your own garbage, it's hard for me to take you seriously about how much you care about the environment. If you're just a litter bug who happens to want to pose for the cameras, uh, you're part of the problem. Okay, other things that I hate. So celebrities cannot stop cutting silly, silly public service announcements. And I don't know why they think that this is effective. I don't know why they don't seem to get that every time celebrities mouth off, it makes more people like Trump because we're just annoyed with them. But Funny or Die has now cut another one of these celebrity PSAs. Here's what it looks like. There's sure been a lot of hullabaloo going on with President Trump's last executive order, where he banned non-citizens from seven predominantly Muslim countries from entering the United States. And a lot of people, including me, had questions like, why is Trump doing this? Is this even constitutional? What in the... Well, we finally have an answer why Trump is doing this. Historians confirmed the existence of another constitution. And it's called the Alternative Constitution. We only know of two copies, one of which an archaeologist found cradled in the mouth of a large golden snake pig deity hidden in a deep underground cave. And Trump was accidentally given the other copy when he was a teen. He's working from the wrong constitution, and he doesn't even know it. Here, for example, is the normal constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. However, Trump's alt-constitution goes a bit further than that, adding, but if a handsome, brave, scared president makes an executive order that favors one religion over another, he shall only experience pure ecstasy. Of course Trump felt justified banning green card holders. His mm. constitution says, They with cards of green should be kept away by any means, by wall, by force, or with magic beans. Okay, so th this is funny or die, and I have one question. They keep promising, but they do not fulfill. So if you're going to keep saying funny or die, at a certain point, shouldn't you die if you make a lot of bad comedy? Because that is not good in any sense of the word comedy. So it's just, again, it's, it's, it's illiterate. I mean, first of all, the establishment, laws respecting an establishment of religion means the government can't establish an official religion. It doesn't mean that it can't restrict immigration based on religion. It actually doesn't mean that. It can restrict immigration based on religion. That's not establishing religion for the people who actually live here. Okay, so that, that is a legal distinction. And in fact, there has been a religious test that's been in place for refugees for a very long time in the United States, and that has not really changed under American law. Yeah, as far as green card holders and the rest of this, again, there are some legal niceties that they're, they're obscuring here. But beyond that, I just have one question. Why do celebrities think that we care when they do these sorts of things? When they cut these ads, do they really not understand that you talking to me about law is like me talking to me talking to them about how to manufacture tears for a scene somebody else wrote. Okay, I don't have any expertise in that. I do have more expertise in law, and I'm sorry, watching some lady wearing a my P word, my choice t-shirt jabber at me about the Constitution, uh, it's not likely to make me support her side when she's talking about magic beans and an alternate con it's just just stupid, stupid, stupid. But the left can't help itself. They can't help itself. They can't contain themselves. And this is the greatest ally Trump has. The greatest ally that Trump has is the media and the, and the celebrity left, which refuse to acknowledge such a thing as, as tone or tenor. They refuse to acknowledge such a thing as moderation of response. Instead, all they recognize is that it's a crisis and they're going to run around with their hair on fire. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Plus, I'm headed over to Marquette. So tomorrow, uh, apparently, there are going to be some protests and it should get 
kind of wild, but we'll find out. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 